0: Hey everybody and welcome to Breaking Biotech. Thanks for being with me here today. My name is Matt and if you like the show you can help out by clicking the like or subscribe button. You can also donate using the Patreon link in the description below. So I'm glad to be back and I've got a great show for everybody today. The focus of the show today is gonna be on NASH or non-alcoholic steatohepatitis. And the reason for this is that one company that I like called Magical Pharmaceuticals had an update in their phase three Maestro NAFLD trial with their thyroid receptor beta agonist resmitarone. So we're gonna focus on that and then I wanna pair it with my short thesis for Viking Therapeutics and then we're gonna talk about a bunch of other NASH candidates that are in the space today. Before we get into everything NASH, I wanna start off by talking about Checkpoint Therapeutics because they recently had a big readout for their cosibelumab drug in metastatic cutaneous squamous cell carcinoma. The stock didn't quite move as much as I would've liked, but I think there's a couple of reasons for that. So I'm going to talk more about that and what we can expect from the company in the rest of 2022. I want to thank everybody for your support. Appreciate everybody for tuning into the show and for continuing to engage with me on Twitter as well as on the channel itself. So please keep it up and it will allow me to get good guests on the show like we recently had with Sujal Shah, the CEO from Sima Bay. So please check that out if you're curious about that company another liver disease adjacent company. I also hope that everybody's doing all right in this rough environment, I would say. Small caps in general continue to be hammered in the stock market. I think we're seeing a bit of a basing effect right now, but I don't want to make any calls and say that this is necessarily a bottom. What I am thinking about doing, though, is trying to add maybe a macro element to the show, so that we can try to predict whether or not there's gonna be weakness in a sector like the small caps, which the XBI is part of, or whether or not I should just increase my focus on potential shorts. And the reason for this is shorts would make for a great hedge in this environment, and I probably would have saved a lot of money had I been short a number of companies that I wanted to, but just didn't really wanna incorporate into my portfolio. So I'm thinking about doing that, either macro or more shorting, And we'll see today a company that I did decide to take the plunge on and short, which is uh, Viking Therapeutics. So we'll talk more about that. But if anybody has an opinion, I'm happy to take it under consideration. So please hit me up in the comments or send me an email at matthewlapoide at gmail.com or on Twitter at matthewlapoide. So with that, let's get into the show. And the first company i want to talk about is checkpoint therapeutics and the reason for this is that they announced positive top line results from the registration enabling trial of cosibelumab in metastatic cutaneous squamous cell carcinoma the company is trading at two dollars and 39 cents a share giving them a market cap of 200 million dollars the company was trading at like a buck 80 a buck 90 so if you took a position then and timed it right you would have made a nice profit Unfortunately for me, though, I took my position at like 330 or 340, so I'm still down quite a bit on the stock. The company's Q3 net loss was $11 million. Their net current assets sit at $50 million, giving them an enterprise value of around $150 million. For those who don't know, the company is an oncology company, so they're focused on everything cancer. There are two main assets, one is cosibelumab, which we're going to talk about today, and the second one is called Olafertinib, which is a third generation EGFRI. If I didn't mention it, Cosibelumab is an anti pdl one drug. And you might be asking, why are we interested in another company trying to get a pdl one drug to market, given that a number of large pharma have these assets and have massive budgets that can really execute on the commercialization of them in these different indications. And my response to that would be that Checkpoint's strategy is effectively going to be to undercut these existing PD-1 or PD-L1 drugs on price. And in this way, they're hoping to garner a significant market share in these indications by doing just that. Now, I don't know if the company is necessarily expecting a better efficacy or better safety than the existing drugs, but it's definitely possible. And we're going to see here in the data today that the drug itself seems to be on the upper end of efficacy compared to some of the existing drugs, so there's reasons to be excited for that. But one of the reasons why I don't think the stock moved too much in this news is that they withheld a decent amount of data because they wanted to save it for a future presentation. So we'll talk about that in a second. I just want to mention though that the asset cosibelumab, it's being studied in not just metastatic cutaneous squamous cell carcinoma, also locally advanced squamous cell carcinoma and the company just initiated a trial in non-small cell lung cancer. So pretty exciting indication there. A lot of reasons to be hopeful that the NSCLC will be positive as well, but it will take some time before we get to the data readout that we would expect. Okay, back to the cosibelumab press release. So what they mentioned was that the study met the primary endpoint with 47.4 objective response rate, and this includes 78 patients, they say that the median duration of response has not yet been reached and that 76% of responses are ongoing. So they're not even really close to getting the median duration of response, which is very good. Now, obviously, the existing PD-1 and pdl one drugs are quite effective. So getting that duration of response as long as possible is in the company's benefit. The company also says that safety and tolerability are consistent with previous reported data and that they plan to submit a BLA later this year. The company also shares this chart here comparing other approved PD-1s in cutaneous squamous cell carcinoma. And the two main ones that the company expects to be going against are Libtayo and Keytruda. And the objective response rates in their trials are 49% and 41% for LibTio or 35% with Keytruda so checkpoint coming in at 47.4 percent is on the upper end of the spectrum of existing treatments right now so it does bode well for the company but the one thing that i think a lot of people were hoping for is the complete response rate which the company did not share the ceo mentioned that they are saving this data for a future meeting and this isn't outside the realm of normal i think Investors would have just liked to see it so they could fully compare what cosibelumab is able to do compared to existing treatments They're hoping to get a platform Presentation rather than just a poster presentation because it's a little more prestigious So I'm not too surprised at this. It just would have been nice to get any other data And so when it comes to the complete responders first, they say that the complete responders are competitive and in line with expectations now i don't know what exactly expectations they're talking about because they mentioned in their interim report that cosibelumab had a 12.2 percent complete response rate and that's what i'm showing here on the bottom is a chart that they shared in their interim analysis and 12.2 compares quite nicely to libtio and keytruda that have five and three percent respectively now the ceo did mention that it's common to have more complete responders as patients stay on the drug longer and because he said that, part of me thinks that we should expect the complete response rate to be below 12% because he wouldn't have said that unless he was trying to soften the blow that complete responders aren't going to be quite as good as they were in the interim analysis. So remains to be seen. That's just my speculation. When it comes to safety, they mentioned that it was better than existing PD-1, so that's encouraging. Although we didn't get too much granularity on that so i think the fact that there wasn't that granularity in the data release and the press release is really what led to a bit of a muted response in the stock so it's unfortunate but i think there's reasons to be encouraged and part of that is why i'm still holding on to the stock and why i want to wait for this future meeting to get the totality of the data so the company mentioned that we're going to be expecting more data at an upcoming meeting They also mentioned that BLA and MAA submission would be planned for later this year. And this would set up for a 2024 launch. And it kind of makes sense if you're expecting the FDA or the EMA to review the application for about a year. The company also mentioned that there's a potential upcoming interim analysis of locally advanced cutaneous squamous cell carcinoma, which is a more milder form of the disease. And what they're thinking, and they haven't consulted the FDA on this yet, I believe that's what they said in the conference call, is that they're going to have a discussion with the FDA and they're going to ask them whether or not they can conduct an interim analysis in this population and then potentially include it, include the data and this indication into the biologics license application. So in this first round submission, they're hoping to not just get approval of metastatic cutaneous squamous cell carcinoma, but some kind of approval in locally advanced cutaneous squamous cell carcinoma. So I don't know how common something like this is. The company on the call seemed pretty optimistic about it, but as we know, companies are always extremely optimistic on these conference calls, but they're willing to at least have the discussion with the FDA. So I think this is potentially interesting, and if they're going to do that interim analysis, if the FDA gives the green light, I think they are going to share that data with the investment community and the public so it'll definitely be something to watch as well the company's also initiated a phase three in non-small cell lung cancer they mentioned on the call that they're enrolling quicker than normal because they're doing the trial outside the usa and drugs like pd1 or pdl1 are extremely expensive if they're outside the usa so this is allowing checkpoint to get significant recruitment to their trial because patients want access to the drug and they can't afford it at the prices that they're being given outside the USA. And I think this is interesting. This does two things for Checkpoint because their whole thesis is that existing PD-1 and PD-L1 drugs are too expensive for patients and they can undercut that and get significant market share. And them saying that they're getting quicker enrollment than normal because these existing drugs are so expensive, I think bodes well for the company. We'll see how quick they can enroll because I'm definitely excited to hold on to the stock through this NSCLC indication, assuming it's within a reasonable time frame. So I want to keep an eye on that as well. The one thing I would have liked the company to touch on is whether or not there's a timeline set for the phase three results for their Olafertinib drug, which I know isn't a bigger part of their portfolio, but it would be interesting for me given that it's in non-small cell lung cancer as well. So that's Checkpoint Therapeutics. I'm going to continue to hold on to my position for now and see how the next little while plays out and see whether we can get more granular on a timeline for any of these readouts. Before we move on, I want to thank our sponsor, which is Info Pathways, and they are the leaders in biotech IT. Many biotech startups don't think that they have the time or the money to protect their data. Without a dedicated IT team, data management becomes everyone's problem. Scientists find themselves redoing work and carrying out tasks outside of their expertise. Management finds themselves struggling to find funding and meet regulatory requirements. Don't let your company set itself up for failure. InfoPathways provides data management, cybersecurity, and technology compliance services for life science firms of any size. InfoPathways specializes in clean rooms, vivariums, GMP or GLP compliant facilities, as well as BSL 1 through 4. No environment or regulation is too complex for InfoPathways. For more information, go to InfoPathways.com or call 410-751-9929 to learn more. That's InfoPathways.com or call 410-751-9929. I want to thank InfoPathways for being a sponsor in the show. It's extremely appreciated. And check them out, guys. InfoPathways.com. Moving on, though, let's talk about the feature story for today, which is NASH. And I want to start by talking about Madrigal Pharmaceuticals. And the reason for this is that we saw positive top line phase three, Maestro NAFLD1 data, which demonstrate ResMitteron was safe, well tolerated, and provided statistically significant improvements in key measures of liver and cardiovascular health. That's the title of the press release. The company is trading at $70.57 a share, giving them a market cap of $1.2 billion or an enterprise value of $970 million. Their Q3 net loss was $63 million and their net current assets sit at $230 million. And for those who don't know, Magical is focused on liver disease. Primarily, they're trying to develop resmitiram for the treatment of NAFLD or NASH. And resmitiram is a thyroid receptor beta agonist And in this way, they're able to get really nice outcomes in patients that have some form of liver disease, either NAFLD or NASH. Now they're doing two phase three trials. One is this phase three for NAFLD, which we're seeing the results for today. And the other one, the more important one, is this MAESTRO-NASH trial, which they've guided that they're gonna have results in Q3 of this year. But to focus on NAFLD, the company's press release reads that primary and key secondary endpoints from the double blind placebo controlled 969 patients, big, big trial, Maestro NAFLD1 study were achieved and demonstrate that resmitteron provided significant and clinically relevant reductions in liver fat as measured by MRI PDFF. And then they also say that significantly reduced atherogenic lipids, including LDLC. ApoB as well as triglycerides were achieved. So these are the main parts of the press release and if we want to look at safety to start off this was the primary endpoint in the study and you would think for a phase three that it would have been something efficacy related but for some reason the company decided on on safety but for our purposes we really do care primarily about efficacy since in the space right now the FDA has guided that they need to see either an improvement in one of two endpoints for the phase three. The one is an improvement in NASH with no worsening of fibrosis or an improvement in fibrosis without a worsening of NASH based on these scales. Now, this is an NAFLD trial, so it's not so much critical that they hit these points since these patients don't really have NASH. So I think the primary purpose for this trial was really to get down to safety and make patients and investors feel confident that in a large-scale trial that the safety outcomes are pretty much balanced between the different groups. There was a bit more safety signals in the resminarum groups, either the 80 or the 100 milligram group, but if you look at the grade three or higher severity, the placebo was 9%, the low-dose resminarum was 8%, and the high-dose resminarum was 9%. So in terms of things that are uh, dangerous. They were pretty balanced. The two things that did come up as being higher in either of the rosimitarum groups was diarrhea and nausea. And now these aren't, you know, life-threatening problems, but I think that given NASH is going to have a number of different treatments that are out there, you'd like to be as competitive as you can on both efficacy as well as safety. And if patients are being told that they might have a diarrhea problem or a nausea problem for an extended period of time, It will definitely deter them from taking the drug now on the call they definitely said that the diarrhea was pretty mild and it was nothing to worry about but i'd like to see a more detailed breakdown of this and and see whether or not the diarrhea was grade one grade two and same with the nausea so we just don't have that data right here i think the one thing that's encouraging is that the discontinuation was 2.17 percent now they didn't really talk about the discontinuation in the res versus placebo so that's kind of annoying but you would assume that it's balanced otherwise they wouldn't have done this so i don't know that's kind of weird how they outline this here i'm just noticing that now but anyway safety in general is pretty good and at least from my standpoint i think it's definitely approvable whether or not patients are going to want to take a drug that caused them to have diarrhea that's another question Now when it comes to efficacy, the key secondary endpoints for the trial include a number of these different biomarkers. The big ones for us is this MRI PDFF, which is a non-invasive method of measuring liver fat, and we see a pretty big improvement in uh, liver fat reduction at week 52. In the open label 100 milligram group, we saw negative 53%. In the 80 milligram group, we saw 43% decrease. And then in the non-open label part, they had negative 48%. So pretty big decrease in liver fat, which is encouraging. Some other things that came up, decreases in LDL-C, ApoB, which is also very positive, means that things are trending in the right direction, which you don't see in other NASH candidates. Liver triglycerides also looked really good. So that's also very encouraging. Now, unfortunately, two of the other things that, well, three of the other things that we're hoping to get data on one was the FibroScan, scan which is another non-invasive method of looking at liver fibrosis they didn't tell us anything about that and they also didn't tell us anything about liver enzymes either alkaline phosphatase nor ast or alt so too bad disappointing you would expect us to have gotten a little bit of information there but they also use the excuse that they're saving this data for a future meeting so we'll see so overall i think the data is positive but really the, the nuts and bolts of the company or what we really want to see is the positive Maestro Nash trial. And they guided in this call that the top line was still coming in Q3 of this year. And I said before that I was going to sell after this readout came out, but I really think that there's going to be a lot of excitement over this big readout because it will put them probably furthest along in terms of Nash candidates, at least in F2 and F3 Nash. Um, Closest to getting approval. So I think that there's probably going to be a lot of excitement in the stock and maybe a run-up in the stock into this readout And obviously there's still like six months before that happens, but I think for me I'm gonna hold on and and see what happens Now I mentioned on Twitter that I am short Viking Therapeutics And so I think that for me to hedge my Nash play here I'm gonna short the company that, that I think has the least likelihood of getting a drug to market or at least through their pipeline and for me that's viking and i know i was long viking up until like a year ago and if i think back it was a disaster of a trade that i made i, I bought viking at like 13 so i took a loss in the company but i think now makes sense to short so the company is now trading at $3.55 a share market cap is $277 million. Their enterprise value, though, is $67 million. And the reason for this is they've got a pretty good cash position of around, I think, $230 million. Their quarterly quarterly loss is only $15 million, too, so their burn rate isn't that high. And I think this is really what's supporting the price as it is. But I think that given where they're at and given the recent news that's come out, they should be trading well below cash. So I think there's more downside for Viking Therapeutics especially as we see a lot of good news come out for a bunch of other companies in the space. So Viking is commercializing VK2809, which is their own thyroid receptor beta agonist, and they're looking in both NAFLD as well as NASH. And then they have a modified thyroid receptor beta agonist that they're looking at X-linked adrenal leukodystrophy. So I want to take everyone back to the timeline of Viking Therapeutics, and the reason for me sharing this is that it's illustrating why I don't think leadership in this company is going to deliver in NAFLD or NASH anytime soon. It was in September of 2018 that they announced top-line data for their Phase two study of VK2809 in NAFLD. It wasn't until over a year later that they initiated their Phase two B Voyage study in biopsy-confirmed NASH patients. So well over a year before they decided that they were actually gonna get going and start this trial. And then once COVID hit, they decided to tell everybody that it was tough for them to get recruitment or enrollment for this trial and nothing has changed. It's been two years since COVID and we continue to see enrollment ongoing on their corporate presentation. So to me, this just suggests that the leadership team is not pressed to rush. They're not trying to get new clinical sites open because for them, there's no real downside in continuing to just drag their feet. Now they have been trying to get other programs going, but those have been met with some recent setbacks. So one in the past that they were trying to do is VK5211. And this was a a SARM I believe that they were trying to do for uh, type of eating disorder or aging related eating problem, but they took this asset preclinically and clinically even, and then they decided to just end it suddenly. They started development for VK0214, and they recently got this clinical hold issued by the FDA. So, this is going to take some time for them to fix those hurdles. And now there's another program on their site, VK2735, which is a GLP1 or GIP agonist. And this is just such a crowded space right now that I don't think Viking has any hope of getting any kind of market share with whatever they end up getting, if they ever do get to the approval level with this compound. So my short thesis is that they're going to continue to have delays for VK2809 in Nash. They haven't guided in a long time on when they were expecting the trial to be enrolled, let alone when the actual data readout would be. So I think they're just going to continue to push this out for as long as they need to until they can get those enrollment numbers filled, which I think could be well over a year from now. In the X-linked adrenal leukodystrophy program, it's going to be slowed down due due to this clinical hold. They guided that they're going to be able to respond in Q2 of this year, but given how lackadaisical they've been with the NASH trial, I feel like there's a good chance that they could push that as well. And then my final point is that, yeah, GLP-1 and GIP agonism, it's extremely crowded, and I'm going to talk later about a company that's actually moving along with their GLP-1 agonist and how they're going to be a huge player in the Nash space. So I see that matching a Viking short with a magical long is a good hedge for the Nash space, since if the overall Nash market goes down, I'm going to make money on my Viking short, and that will help balance out the potential loss that I'm going to see in Madrigal. I next want to touch on a couple of Nash companies that have assets that agonize FGF and the two I want to touch on is 89Bio as well as Acaro and 89Bio actually just had a readout on their Phase 1B that should be 1B 2A of Pego in F2 or F3 Nash and this is interesting because the company sold off quite a bit on this data readout and they were already trading at a pretty low valuation. So the company is now trading at around 5 bucks a share, giving them a market cap of $100 million and and $50 million enterprise value, which is crazy because in 2020, when I was trading the stock, I think it was 2020, they were trading at around like 20 or 30 bucks. so pretty big decline here. And so the data they presented, which was overall pretty good, is that 63% of patients achieved the two point or greater improvement in the NASH activity score with no worsening of fibrosis and then 23% of patients achieved the one stage or greater improvement of fibrosis without worsening of NASH. So these are the two endpoints that we're gonna expect to see in all of these phase three trials with NASH because the FDA's draft guidance for NASH trials are that they need to get either of those and both would be even better and would obviously be more competitive on the market. Now Because 89Bio isn't the only player in the FGF agonism space, they had to compete with Acaro, which also had data showing a pretty good effect in both of these endpoints. And so I just want to point to the one that's most relevant is that Acaro saw that 48% of patients achieved a one stage or greater improvement of fibrosis without worsening of NASH. So this contributed to the weakness we saw in 89Bio. Acaro doubled the number of patients that improved fibrosis without worsening of NASH. And they're further along. Their next readout for NASH, their phase 2B in NASH, is going to be in Q3 of this year. Whereas for 89Bio, it's not going to be until Q1 of 2023. So I think that all of that combined is what led to real weakness in 89Bio and why Acaro is actually sitting at a pretty nice valuation right now. And among the two different endpoints for NASH, the fibrosis without worsening of NASH is definitely the tougher one to hit because trying to reverse fibrosis is really, really difficult. Whereas it's not so bad to reduce things like fatty liver or ballooning. That's a little bit easier, but the fibrosis part is really tough. So seeing that Acaro can do better than 89 Bio, I think bodes a lot better for Acaro even when it comes to the final market review or when patients are evaluating it. So when it comes to Acaro, they're trading at around $18 a share, giving them a market cap of $620 million or $420 million enterprise value. So like I mentioned there, they've shown pretty good data so far with a Q3 2022 as being their next readout in NASH. The next two companies I wanna talk about are also in the NASH space, but they're ones that I'm not gonna spend too much time on. Inventiva, which I literally just looked at today, hadn't really heard of them before, but they have this nice chart, comparing their drug, lanifibrinor, to other drugs that are competitive in the NASH space. And so their drug, Lanafibrinor, it's a PPAR agonist, and there are some side effects that patients probably wouldn't like. I don't know if it's as bad as resmitiram, it's things like weight gain and fluid retention. I don't know what's worse, weight gain, fluid retention, or diarrhea or nausea. Both don't seem very encouraging, but the efficacy in NASH so far from Fibrinor is very impressive. To see 45% in the NASH resolution with no worsening of fibrosis and 42% in fibrosis improvement without worsening of NASH is very impressive. In the scale of all the different NASH drugs, this is extremely competitive and I think very exciting to see and hopefully when we get to their final readout, it will be positive as well. The one thing I'll say is that it's going to take them quite a bit of time. I think that their phase three readout probably won't be until the end of 2023 or early 2024. And now if you'll notice on the very far right of the graph here, we have semaglutide. And so I want to talk about Nova Nordisk for a second because they are threatening all of these other companies. And so their drug here is able to get 59% in Nash resolution with no worsening of fibrosis and 43% in the fibrosis improvement without worsening of NASH. Now the placebo group is pretty high here, and you would think that in a big phase three trial, that would tend to be closer to zero than 33, but right now it shows no significance. But if the effect of the drug is true and is there, uh, semaglutide stands to be the best in class for this indication. So Nova Nordisk, giant company, $232 billion market cap and they just have all the resources needed to really develop a drug and bring it on to market. So they have absolutely committed to doing this with semaglutide. Semaglutide is a GLP-1 agonist I believe and it's effective right now in type 2 diabetes. I don't know if they have the indication yet for obesity but they're definitely moving forward with NASH. So we can see here I've got all these different headlines of the different trials that they're doing they're not only going in monotherapy or in different nash stages they're also doing it in combination with drugs that gilead has tried to commercialize and even with fgf21 so nova nordisk is absolutely committing to develop semaglutide for nash and given that they have all of these resources for development as well as for commercialization they are absolutely going to destroy the nash market so I think this is something to be mindful of. They probably aren't as far as Madrigal. The phase three of semaglutide in NASH started in Q2 of 2021. So probably going to take about a year and a half, maybe two years for them to recruit all the patients and get all the data, especially with COVID, it might've taken longer. So we're probably looking at the end of 2023 or maybe early 2023. So Magical is a bit of a leg up, but as soon as Semaglutide gets approved, I think it's going to be really tough for Magical to maintain any kind of market share if they can get going quick enough. So, oh, I forgot about this. So I did want to mention Intercept briefly because they're about to have a big Q1. Top line data from their phase three reverse trial is now going to be announced in the first quarter of this year and they've segmented patients to specifically compensated cirrhosis due to NASH. This is the most severe case of NASH, I think, right before kind of end stage NASH or where they really need a liver transplant. So Intercept previously saw what they called positive data, but the FDA did not approve their drug, Okaleva, for NASH. So what they did, they redid a phase three trial specifically with compensated cirrhosis due to NASH, and we're finally going to get that readout. And I think Given they have a $100 million enterprise value, might be worth buying like 10 shares, 100 shares, and risking it because the risk-reward is definitely to the upside. Leva's already approved for PBC, and we talked about this a little bit with the SEMA Bay CEO in my last episode, so check that out if you want more information. So the downside is pretty capped for Intercept, and I think that there's a potential for them to have good data in compensated cirrhosis for NASH. So who knows, but I uh, wanted to mention Intercept because they were the ones that first applied for FDA approval with their drug, Okaleva in Nash. So keep that in mind. So my overall takeaway, this is what I was going to say, very crowded space. Novo is a massive risk to all of the, these companies. Once they get approval, it's going to be extremely difficult for any other company to come in and commercialize and take any market share, especially because they're like an insulin company. So they're already dealing with patients that have diabetes, type two diabetes. So it's just gonna be so tough for other companies. Now I will say the flip side to that is that there could be potential for M&A with other large pharma because large pharma might see that Novo is killing it in the NASH space. And rather than starting from scratch, they might wanna buy a magical pharmaceuticals and then just integrate that drug into their pipeline and start to take market share away from Novo. Magical is also going to be first to market. So I think that there's a real attraction there to large pharma for a de-risked asset in that way. I think that the intercept data, if it's positive in what we're going to see in like a month or two, I think it'll be good for the sector, especially because they could be the potentially first late stage approval. So if they see good data here, file the license application to the FDA, They might see approval in like early 2023, whereas Madrigal, I think it'll take a year from Q3 to get approval there. So I think that could be very positive for the sector. For Madrigal, the FibroScan info from the NAFLD trial is going to be very interesting because if we see that fibrosis in this population is going down, even though there's not as much fibrosis because it's NAFLD, I think that would bode very well for the readout in Q3. And then if they see good data in Q3 in their NASH trial, it could be the first F2, F3 NASH approval. And this would obviously be huge for the company. I think it bodes very well for them long term, even though there's still some logistical challenges with the drug that I talked about earlier. But I think I'm hedging that properly with a company like Viking. And I think that they're just not going to move quick enough to generate any meaningful value to shareholders. So for that reason, I am short. All right upcoming readouts that we want to talk about i didn't really talk about the biogen ncd draft decision but that hurt my portfolio a lot we are getting a readout for them in q3 of another alzheimer's trial with that other drug the other alzheimer's drug that lowers amyloid beta that could really make or break biogen if they see positive data there i think it could really turn the story around we're also going to get the final decision for the ncd i think in a couple months so that also could potentially be positive for biogen so keep your eyes out for that i think otherwise carrier farm we should be seeing sienna results soon that is probably my best performer so far in 2022 which is hilarious Replimune, there's a lot of readouts coming up pdsb we also have a lot of readouts and btai PDUFA date is in april with that I want to do a portfolio check-in and as you can see here very red overall even some of these greens are very red and the reason for this is that most of my portfolio is down overall I'm at like negative 17 or 18 for the year with a couple of exceptions Acadia is doing pretty well and I think that this stock rose in response to the Anavex ret syndrome data Maybe I'll talk about Anavex in a future video, but that's an interesting company that's starting to get uh, a lot of attention for better or for worse. My Viking short so far is up 6%. So you'd love to see that. Hopefully it continues, but um, this is what we're looking at right now. Finally starting to bring down that net exposure. And I think I might be more serious about taking short positions moving forward. I don't know if I really touched on Longevron, but I think I, I missed my entry. I missed my entry into shorting Longevron and I could have made a fortune if I had have acted when I said I was going to act. And this just happens sometimes. When you miss your entry, you got to move on and think about other opportunities. And that's what I did. So comparing to other indices, I'm doing slightly better than XBI, slightly better than ArcG, not as good as IBB, And of course, trailing the spies, the Qs, and the Russell 2000. So that's pretty much everything. I don't think I want to touch too much on anything else. There was some news in some other companies that I'm holding, but in the interest of time, I think I'm going to save that for another episode. So with that, we're going to wrap it up, but I want to thank everybody for your attention and we'll see you next time.